Nobody understands your brand, whether you've brought it to fruition yet or not. Nobody understands it the way that you do. And the thing that will set you apart and make you successful is if you bring forth what is true to you and true to your brand and then sell that. That's the voice of Jesse Weekins, owner of American Estates. And I'm excited to talk with him and his business partner slash wife, Nikki Wiegands, right after this word from our sponsor. This show is brought to you by our sponsor, Jobber. Jobber brings people and technology together by keeping jobs on track, customers happy, and your business organized. Jobber also just recently launched a new grant program, Boost by Jobber, a program providing $100,000 to 20 small local home service businesses across the U.S. and Canada. So whether you're just starting your business or you're a well-established business, you're invited to apply for a grant. Just visit boostbyjobber.com. That's boostbyjobber.com. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Jesse and Nikki Wiegands, owner of the Rogers, Arkansas-based furniture company, American Estates. With pieces made from wood and metal, with nods to an era where things were built only by hand and the sweat off your brow, their company exemplifies the hard work aesthetic, not only in their furniture, but in how they run their business as well. Complementing each other's skill sets, he as the artistic force, her as the business know-how, they have built their company from a local dream to a worldwide brand. But every story has its start, and this company's start was as far from building furniture as you can get. I actually had the really cool experience of being able to travel all around the country, playing music, and got you know pretty much right to the doorstep of that dream of you know being a professional musician and a rock star and all that. Kind of realized that that wasn't what I wanted, so I pulled back came home, went to work with my dad in a family business doing remodeling. And it was great, honest work, taught me a lot of great things and a lot of uh, hard work and good work ethic, a lot of values, but it wasn't really fulfilling to the artist in me, which was something that I was really starting to become really aware of. And so on the side, I started moonlighting, making some furniture, advertising on Craigslist and whatever we had back then. I don't think we had Facebook marketplace or anything cool. So we're just kind of throwing out ads like, Hey, you need furniture. I'll build you anything. Just give me a call. Um, I'm real cheap, you know, which is a terrible idea if you're trying to start a business, but that's kind of the humble beginnings right there. That's where I started. And, um, through blood, sweat and tears, like anybody who makes a good run at this, uh, we've grown to something pretty substantial and something to be proud of. Your company motto is original makers. Your aesthetic is very of the earth, based in solid woods and metals. You have a feel to your brand that is very much a throwback to earlier times, when everything was built by hand and all the grit that comes with that. So it's no surprise that your goal for many years was to open your own brick and mortar showroom. It goes with everything that you've been building towards. In late 2019, that dream became a reality. You opened the doors and the world shut down. What was it like? That high you felt in finally realizing your dreams, 
something you work so hard to achieve, and then having it suddenly taken away by force outside of anyone's control? You know, I think um, for us, it, it was kind of a whirlwind. I, th- I mean, honestly, it was that way for everybody. So I don't know that we ever got a chance to stop and lick our wounds and be like, oh, this is so, so sad. You know, we we just got this thing open and and now, you know, we got to figure out what's going on and we shut down for eight months. For us, our business has always been transitions one after another. So it felt, even though it could have been something we perceived as being a really negative thing, it just felt like something that was in step with kind of the flow of our business in general. We took that time to, instead of feeling down about that showroom, which, you know, honestly had been my dream since the beginning, I'm kind of a, sometimes a cart before the horse kind of dreamer. And so I I wanted to open a showroom really before I even knew how to build furniture. Um, Fortunately, I've got Nikki here who has some business sense about her (laughs) kind of lined me out and was like, Hey, let's, let's make a business first. That's worth showing off. But uh, all that to say what, what we ended up doing uh, during the shutdown was we transitioned to appointments only in our showroom. And what we actually found in that time, because we were a little bit short-staffed. We hadn't uh, added some crucial pieces yet that um, make everything that we do today possible. I was the one that was in that showroom all day, every day. And having it peeled back to where we were just doing appointments only, it it weeded out kind of the, uh, you know, tire kickers, if you will. And we were only meeting with the people who were really serious about what they you know, what they wanted and, and about going forward with the project. And so it actually opened up a lot of doors for us to be able to do a lot more in that season than we would have. And by the time we came back around to opening again, we had made some, some changes in our business through the development that we had you know, experienced through that time. We were able to add employees that made that showroom a game changer when we opened back up. So it was almost in a way a blessing in disguise, but it's it, it kind of comes down to, you know, when when something happens that feels like a challenge or adversity, it comes down to how you uh, how you decide to take that on and how you decide to perceive that. Even though we all live through it and are still dealing with it, it still seems like an unimaginable time in our lives, and one that will scar us all for the rest of our lives. I'm happy that you came out safe and your business survived and thrived during those incredibly hard times. Nikki, how does it feel to be the business side of things and to have to deal with the artistic tantrums of someone who has decided to spend their life building furniture? Nobody with any business sense would ever think that starting a furniture company is a good idea. It is a thankless job. The margins are small, building is hard, and it's hard on your time and your body, especially when you're building custom work. A lot of furniture makers go into this knowing that they love to build, but if they get any type of success, they soon realize that the business is just as important and many times more important than the actual building of the furniture itself. It's what separates someone who is a hobby furniture maker and somebody who is the owner of a furniture company. Let's talk about the business side of the company. 
how you started going down that path and how you corral the artistic side of it so you can actually be a successful business. Yeah, that's a great question. And I love that expression that you used, artistic tantrums. That's like spot on what I feel sometimes. Really, when Jesse and I kind of started stepping into this, uh, we had really only been dating for a short period. So I was still learning Jesse as I was learning the infancy of this business. And where Jesse was at was he had, you know, a cool social media following based on, you know, just showing up authentically as himself. He had some some cool clients, both commercial, residential, but he was still in the very, very early stages of growing something. And to be completely honest with you, it wasn't like I was coming in with all of this business experience and wisdom. I mean, I was I was fresh out of college and in the corporate design world but was just fortunate enough to have been raised with a little entrepreneurial background and enough willingness and grit to, to take it on. And um, when Jesse and I stepped into this together, it became apparent that Jesse was going to be the artist and I was going to be the one going, all right, well, how do we make this sustainable? How do we make money from this? How do we not, you know, suffer indefinitely for this dream? But it's just been a process of over the last, you know, handful of years, being willing to kind of face things from the perspective of, yes, we want to make quality furniture, but we also want to have a quality life for ourselves. And the foundation for that is in having a business that is actually sustainable, um, not not just building this, you know, really, really expensive hobby that we pay others to do for us, you know. So I think it's just been a matter of plugging in, being willing to constantly analyze, assess, you know, dig into business resources, knowing that we're still figuring it out as we go. Um, but I feel like we've been blessed working together to have this constant push and pull of the artistic passion and and the, the business passion, honestly, to make it something that uh, we can see ourselves doing long-term. And we're constantly just wrestling in that line of, you know, fighting each other, but also pushing each other forward. And that can be extremely difficult, especially when you're married to that person. <laughs> but I think that's a really core part of how our business has gotten to the place that it is and is gonna be a really, really big part of our future. Having a partner that compliments you so well and can handle the other side of the company, whether it's the business or the artistic side, is, is so important and it is a great place that you find yourself in. Like so many of us, when the world shut down, you turned your attention to your screen and to social media and really developed a voice there. Yes, you had a successful company before the shutdown, but with spending all of your time showcasing your brand to the world on social media, I'm sure you must have reforged the way you think about it into something new. It must have been like rewriting your business plan, but in pictures and videos. And with the social media success, you went from primarily being a local company to a global furniture brand. Share some of the lessons you learned from scaling from a local builder to a global brand. There are so many things that we've learned, but I think that something that really stands out as being an important piece of that puzzle for us is that prior to the pandemic hitting and prior to us opening our showroom, our business had been operating where 
really like 95% of our projects were actually local commercial projects. That was really kind of our bread and butter where we were bringing in the bulk of our income. And our push to open the showroom was really our way of saying, okay, you know, we want to dip back into the residential market, both locally and yes, exactly like you're saying, you know, beyond our, our local area. And we had, you know, through Instagram, we had done projects for other people and had even done some commercial projects in, in different areas, but we were looking to kind of take the next step and not just be able to sell to our local clientele, but also to, to reach a broader audience. And what we found is that number one, opening our showroom got us you know, in the door with this idea of like, okay, well, we can perform in the residential world too. And we had always been doing that, but at such a smaller scale. When the pandemic hit, you know, our commercial projects essentially completely stopped, you know, at least for a season because things were shut down. So what we found is that all of a sudden we had this extra time because we weren't building, you know, 30 tables at a time for a restaurant or something like that we were building individual projects was that we had this time to kind of document the process and create some content around this and just have a little bit more margin in our day-to-day -to, -day to kind of ask ourselves, well, what would it be like to prioritize sharing this, you know, sharing the journey, which is something we've always been passionate about, but it's something that was hard to do with everything else we had to accomplish. And you know, one of the things that we very, very quickly learned as we started jumping into this, you know, social world of YouTube and TikTok especially was really, really big for us. We'd always been operating on Instagram uh, and found that to be successful for us. But when we, when we started uploading on YouTube and TikTok, what we found is that there was this, you know, flood of people who were really excited about the type of content that we were producing because they were interested in seeing the behind the scenes of this stuff. And the more and more that we made, we found that it was translating, like you were saying, to customers. I mean, we had people who would, you know, see a TikTok that we posted and they'd go to our website and send us a message and say, hey, I want to, you know, have you guys do a custom piece. And we're just like, wow, that, you know, that worked, that had a payoff. And so now we're, you know, we're shipping furniture all over the country and it's a pretty amazing feeling. That's the sign of a true entrepreneur, taking what is presented to you and running with it. I'm sure TikTok wasn't even on your radar before this, but you found success there and you went with it. You build custom furniture from the ground up, which comes with so many different challenges. A table is a different kind of build than a bookcase, which is a different kind of build than a bed and so on. But you are a design-build company, and so you're happy to build all types of custom pieces for your clients, whether they come to you with a napkin sketch or a full architectural plan. Recently, you have added customizable ready-made pieces to your offerings, where you have a standard design and people can pick options to customize them. Tell me how you decided to start offering that, how customers react to it, and how it's been working for you. This one's a great question. So. You know, essentially, you know, you mentioned people coming in with uh, something, a constant scribble on a napkin, and I'm sure you've experienced this and you know, but sometimes you're lucky to get something scribbled on a napkin. Sometimes you get somebody that comes in and they go, I don't know what I want or I don't know what I need. I just know that I need. And 
help me. And you gotta like, okay, do you have a Pinterest board? Do you have anything to show me? Can you just point to a picture online that tells me something that interests you so we can get this ball rolling? You know, sometimes it's really difficult, especially in in the residential market. Uh, with commercial, generally, those folks are coming in with a plan. They're coming in with architect drawings, interior designers and things like that. They've got it together and that's a little more streamlined. But when you're dealing with just your average consumer, um, you know, sometimes they just gravitate towards you because of, um, you know, a vibe or, you know, a presence on social media. And they just know, like, I need something and this is who I want to want to do it. Um, so over the years, we've built literally thousands of pieces of furniture. And that up until very recently, every single one of them was, unless they happened to be a batch for something, every single one of them was a from scratch completely every detail being figured out at the time of build, you know, from, from the beginning, there's never any repetition. And so I'm sure you can imagine just like how exhausting that is. And also, you know, from a business standpoint, that leaves you open to a lot of um, just, you know, tough times because when you're doing something for the first time, no matter how well you think it through, sometimes there's something you didn't think of. And so having you know an R&D process built into literally every project you build that's that's tough it's exhausting and so we've had the dream of producing a line uh, for a very long time um, and the idea especially with what we've launched so far was to create products that people that homeowner that comes into the showroom and just says I'm looking for a dining table. And instead of being like, what do you like? What do you, you know, show me a sketch, show me your Pinterest, what, you know, trying to investigate and understand what, uh, what they're looking for from an outside source. We take them to our website and say, okay, here are these designs that we already have populated for you. Tell me if you see something you like, and then, you know, oh, well, I like this. Okay. Here's our finish options. Here's the dimensional options. Do you need custom from there? It gives you this, this starting platform um, that speeds up that process exponentially. And the response has been amazing, quite honestly. Um, it's actually gotten things to a point where instead of me personally having to be the one involved in every single detail of that, I can hand that off to some of my employees who are very proficient in, you know, gathering details and design minded and everything, but don't have the experience of trying to root that out of people. They can just take them to the website and guide them through that process. And then we excel that way. And I'm, I'm free to pursue other things and, and chase other vision. So it's been good for us as a business. But it's also been good for the clients because a lot of people get overwhelmed when they come in and they're like, I want a, I want a table made. And you're like, okay, so here's your options. Absolutely anything in the world that you can dream of. So what do you want? They get, I mean, their heads on explode, you know, like I, they're not designers, they're not dreamers, you know, so sometimes they need that clear path to go on. And that's what we've provided for them. And we've seen through that, 
um, not only a a great amount of progress in the amount of like time that it takes to take a project from first interaction to delivery, but also I think we've ex experienced a great uptick in customer satisfaction overall because the process is just super easy. And I think also we've experienced a uh, a growth in in sales too, it's because the process is so simplified for that great number of people that didn't need truly custom stuff from, you know, from scratch custom to, to fit some exact need. They just, they just wanted something genuine and, and that's how we provide that to them in, in a quick and painless route. Let's talk about making money, which just so happens to be a big part of running a business. You are juggling a lot of balls in the air on a day-to-day -day basis. You do both residential and commercial projects, custom work, ready-made custom work. You build pieces for sale in your showroom. How do you approach each separate part of your business? How does payment structure work for you? And what types of contracts do you have in place to make sure everything runs smoothly? Yeah, that's a great question. I feel like this question is kind of the crux of how do you take something that you love and make it sustainable and how do you protect yourself which is something that i'll be honest you know we continue to have to work on figuring out with every step forward that we take it's like okay man you you think that you're good and then you realize oh wow there was this area where i was was vulnerable um that i thought would be fine you know so all that to say um i mean there's a lot of different nuances for each of the different kinds of builds that we that we take but uh, you know, we have spent many years doing this. And so we have a, a decent idea of what things are going to cost us from a material standpoint, as well as, of course, a labor standpoint, which was a really huge task to actually understand our labor cost. Um, when it was just Jesse and I building things together, it was not as much of an issue, but now, you know, when we've got payroll for employees, not only laborers, but we also have, you know, executive level employees now beyond us, we knew that we had to figure out how to get our cash flow, you know, going in a direction that was going to be sustainable. We knew that we had to um, have shop drawings that we had signed off, things like that. I mean, there's just so many different things that you can do to protect yourself, but in general, what we have found is that what works for us and for our clients is anything that is truly custom, we flesh out the details, we send a generalized estimate so that the client can essentially improve, so that they can approve of the investment. You know, so it's like we don't do a ton of work up front to, you know, design, render every detail have them sign off on it and then quote it you know we we make sure that within the first couple hours of conversation on a big project that we are in alignment as to what that investment is going to cost and if it seems like the numbers that are coming up are really different then we just have an honest conversation with them about that uh, and that you know that's honestly true for custom residential as well. When it comes to the designs that we have on our website, uh, if it is something that is customizable rather than fully custom, we ask the clients to pay in full upfront. And we have not yet experienced a single person being opposed to that. 
I think that that comes with us having a trustworthy brand and people having seen our work, whether it be online or in person, uh, they know that what they're seeing from the design online is going to translate, you know, to scale uh, into the piece that they're wanting. And then we just make sure that we're accurate in how we build it. And that safeguards us, it safeguards the client. And if there's a discrepancy in things or if something doesn't work out, we're able to reference our drawings, our invoices, you know, everything that details things out. And we've just found that being thorough on the front end and also like leaning in on the, um, leaning into the strengths of our other employees, you know, we've got an executive assistant who gathers details, who itemizes everything out in the invoicing process. So we just try to be as thorough as possible with all of our detailing and just make sure that everyone's good to go before we start building. What I'm hearing from you is that the key is in the details and that is where you have found the most success. You have been doing this for a while now, both of you, and you come at it from two very separate places, but places that have complemented each other perfectly. You are running a successful business that you took from a local Craigslist ad saying, we build furniture for cheap to a global brand with multiple employees, with a large shop and a sustainable business that you can see running far into the future. It is an impressive place you find yourself in. What is some advice you can share with people who are looking to get into the furniture business or people who are already in the thick of things and are looking to bring more success to their door. For me, so this would be the artist, designer, creator, guy speaking here would be, I think something that's incredibly important is to take some time and think through who you are as a creator, as a, as a maker, a designer, a builder, you know, what, whatever descriptor you feel is defines you, but think about who you are, what your aesthetic is, what your values are, what drives you, what makes you, you know, feel on point and then hold to that. Because as soon as you start something like this, everybody in your life is going to come to you and be like, Oh, you know what you should do. And you're going to be like, how would you know, you know what, what I should do, but you're going to have to endure all that, all those suggestions, all that push pull from the outside world. Hey, I saw this thing on, on Pinterest or, you know, I saw this thing on Etsy and nobody understands your brand, whether you've brought it to fruition yet or not, nobody understands it the way that you do. And the thing that will set you apart and make you successful is if you bring forth what is true to you and true to your brand and then sell that and not in this like shady, uh, you know, sneaky, slick salesman type of way. But when you can be authentic about who you are and what your brand is, then you can confidently and genuinely sell that to people because you believe in it. And you know that you're, you're honest in it. And that makes things a lot, lot easier to stand out and have a clear path. Because if you get tied up and, and caught up in trying to do the same thing that everyone else does, 
you may enjoy a season of of growth from mass production of something trendy or something like that but ultimately unless your goal was just to make some quick bucks and maybe you know bow out later you're going to feel some dissatisfaction personally so that's that's my advice is think about who you are define who you are and then hold to it and and make that make that statement yeah i i really agree with that advice i think you know if i were to speak to advice that i would give to someone who is interested in you know getting beyond the oh i enjoy making furniture as you know a one person operation is if you want to grow and scale a business one of the things that we have learned that has been just absolutely critical is that you cannot do it alone and i mean that in a couple different senses you know number one neither jesse or i could could run this business alone. It truly, I think it takes both of us and our differences are part of what make that even more true. But beyond ourselves, you know, over the years, we have found that our employees and the people who help us facilitate the building and the running of this business are so, so critical. And I mean, we could spend hours talking about you know lessons around employees but in general the advice that i would give is for anyone who's interested in growing and making something sustainable you've got to look for people who are strong in the areas where you're weak and people who are equally as passionate about the business's vision as you are and that's challenging but i can assure you that it is possible um and i think that jesse's advice of putting in the time to really understand who you are, what you're about and being authentic. That's a critical piece to drawing in the people who can help you grow it, scale it, make it sustainable. Uh, they work hand in hand. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com and feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.